Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in our last episode of 2022, we are talking with Dan Kurtz, a professional trail runner based in Norwich, Vermont. This is a wide-ranging conversation where we talk about the disillusionment that can often come about in the collegiate and post-collegiate track and road running worlds, how Dan landed in the sub-ultra trail racing scene, building a running team in the Northeast, and the pros and cons of being an aspiring pro trail runner in this part of the country, the highs and the lows that Dan went through this past year, and the lessons learned trying to make it in the sport, and a lot more. Before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and Kodiak Cakes. Use code SINGLETRACK20 for 20% off Gnarly Nutrition products and use code SINGLETRACK15 for 15% off Kodiak Cakes products. With that, let's get started. Dan Kurtz, great to finally have you on the Single Track <laughs> Podcast. Yeah, Finn, thank you very much. I'm, I'm excited to be on here. We were talking offline, I think in the last four or five months alone, we've had five or six fairly long phone conversations and <laughs> got a good group chat going with a mutual friend, Jack Kenzel. And I think they've been fairly substantial conversations, not just about like your own athletic career, but just general curiosity about where the sport's headed and all the nuts and bolts of the athlete sponsor relationship, stuff like that. I have a whole list of things I want to cover in this episode. I'm sure we'll get to a lot of it, but just to set the table for any folks that aren't familiar with you, can you give like an elevator pitch about uh, like what your specialty is in the trail and ultra running scene and how you got into it? Well, well, Finn, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Like I said, like you said, I think it's been a little while in the making now, but um as far as my specialty in the trail world goes i'm not sure i have one <laughs> yet or i don't know don't know what it is um yeah little elevator pitch i guess i come from a more classic running background uh middle school high school college um ran on the track did road races i guess when i was little just being bored on the weekend and then um you know had had good success throughout um you know, full ride to college for track and, um, had success at the division one level in college. And then, uh, you know, finding, finding my footing post collegiately and through COVID, uh, basically this spring said, I really want to race some trail stuff. Really want to race some mountain stuff. Um, I think it's just more true to myself. And yeah, so this spring kind of just dove headlong into this and ran a couple trail races and all of a sudden it went pretty well. And then I found myself kind of, you know, going overseas and doing some races, um, a little haphazardly and, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show, I'm actually going to reference a conversation I had back in November of 2021. And it actually might've been a conversation that, that brought us together, or maybe I reached out to you, you reached out to me. It was with Sam Parsons from Tin Man Elite. Mm -hmm. And I asked Sam at some point in the episode, you know, given your position in the road, in the track world, looking from the outside into the trail world, what are some stories that you think need to be better told in our sport. And one of the first things that came to mind for him was telling the story of the quote unquote 
disaffected, talented <laughs> collegiate runner that, you know, had all of this talent, all of this promise in those four years, maybe lived up to it to some degree, but for whatever reason, kind of like lost their passion or lost their way in that area and has gone to the trail and ultra world for revival. And there are a lot of people <laughs> that fit that mold. I'm not saying that that's you to a T, but like, I feel like you have some of that. So I, I do want to set the table for that conversation in a minute. Going back a little bit though, we had a conversation back in September and you talked about your origins in running. You mentioned how in high school you quickly learned that running was going to be your ticket to college. And when I think about that, like no matter which way I slice it or dice it, that's a lot of pressure. Can you talk about the way you handled it? Like did, did that realization that like running was going to count for a lot, did that make you love running more? Did it make you hate it? Like what was your response in that situation? So not, not to push back on it, but maybe a, just a correction. Honestly, it was middle school. Middle I mean, school. it was wow. it was seventh grade. Like I remember having this conversation in the middle of the winter, like one night walking my dog with my mom. Um, and yeah, it was basically this understanding that um, maybe there weren't a ton of options of, you know, what to do down the road, I guess. And it seemingly the best one was running. Um, my uncle was my high school coach. He's, he's a great guy. Unbelievable guy. Um, that's a long conversation though, anyway. And, uh, he had coached a handful of guys, um, you know, from like the late nineties into the two thousands who were really good. And, um, so like Louis Lucchini is, ends up being an 11 time all American at, Stanf at Stanford. Yeah. Like super good guy. He's on the team with Ryan Hall and like a, this crazy team at Stanford, like the lowest, the second lowest scoring, uh, cross country team in NCAA history. And, uh, basically <laughs> we, there was this like path that we could see that was kind of, you know, you run, well enough in high school and you open up a lot of doors for yourself and those are exciting doors to open because it's like you know you can go most places in the country and it's kind of like a thing that pays for itself um hopefully and so yeah i mean that was in seventh grade and i remember uh you know just talking about goals for the next cross country season. And it's a middle school, like middle school cross country in Maine, like yeah. in rural Maine too. And yeah, it just set everything up. And like you talked about pressure with it. I don't know. It was more like exciting than like pressure. It was like, this is so cool. And you could do so much with it. Um, and like, this is the thing I love doing the most. And like, obviously it's like development of a passion. And so at that point it wasn't like, this is all I care about. Um, but it certainly grew that way. And yeah, it's just like, all right, let's kind of like take this thing a little seriously. Like let's, let's give a crap about this. That's interesting that your gut instinct or your gut reaction is to reframe pressure as this exciting opportunity. Are you, would you consider yourself to be an, a net optimist? I don't know. I don't know if I would say that. Um, and I don't know. Like, I don't think it was reframing of anything. I think that was just the framing. It was mm -hmm. like, it's just exciting. I don't know. That's what it, that's what it always was. It wasn't, um, 
oh, there's a lot of pressure with it. And sure, there was a lot of, there was a lot of pressure with it. And like, there were times you'd feel that, but it was also a fairly clear path. Um, and whenever there was like struggle or, you know, really tough things going on um, in family life, that was yeah. always this guiding, I don't know, guiding light for lack of a better term, I guess. Um, huge grounding thing. I was always like, well, this is something that will always be there hopefully. And obviously now I recognize that that's not true. Like <laughs> running won't always be there. Hopefully in some capacity it will, but that's not a given. Um, so yeah, I don't think it was necessarily the same as this huge weighty pressure and at least not all the time Mm. well i think you know for the sake of this part of the conversation you clearly between middle school and college worked extremely hard had a ton of success Mm -hmm. you punched your ticket you got that full ride on a running scholarship (laughs) was it iowa state it was iowa state that's what it ended up being what was the i know there's so much you could say about it but (laughs) <laughs> as it applies to what led you to trail running, what was your college running experience like? Like, what did you, what were the pros, the cons? What did you like, dislike? So, yeah, I feel like maybe grew up kind of like half feral and like spent more time out in the woods than like inside <laughs> for sure. Um, like my, my, my uncle, who's my coach, I lived at their house for a little while and, uh, just a ton of property in like the woods down to the ocean, like unbelievable property. But my cousin and I were basically just convinced all the time. Like we could easily live outside and, you know, a ton of the time we spent just being outside in the woods. And so that was all it was, was just running around. There's no trail. There's nothing like that. You're just like bombing through the bushwhacking and stuff. Um, And I think that's really what running was for me it wasn't necessarily the same as this hardcore sport i think there was kind of like two sides to it there whereas like Mm. there is the sport aspect that's really kind of this button i need to press to like get to places but the relationship with it i think was always this more uh i don't know if holistic or what the right word would be but it was different than the sport side um and so, yeah, then like growing up in Maine, you just, I wasn't exposed to a lot of the really serious side of the sport. Like I didn't realize there were kids in California running a hundred mile weeks in high school. I didn't realize there were kids in Texas who had been, you know, training that hard since eighth grade or whatever. Um, and so getting to college, I mean, even on my recruiting visit, I had a, to Iowa State, I was on with a kid from Arizona and he did a 20 mile long run on his recruiting trip. And I, at the, that time, I don't know if I'd ever run more than like, and I thought I was training pretty hard. I don't know if I'd ever run more than 10 or 11 miles at that time. Wow. Probably. No, that might not be true. It was probably closer to 12. And I thought that was like the longest run ever. And, um, you just kind of get your head snapped back when you realize like, Whoa, the world of, this world is a lot different than I thought it was. Um, so yeah, then, you know, I'm running in Iowa and it's definitely a lot more, uh, less engaging running than I was used to. And, um, that kind of shifted things. And obviously the competition side is 
the only piece that's going on there. So, um, yeah, maybe soured things. I think maybe, maybe it wasn't what running was to me totally anymore. Um, and that was, that was interesting for sure. Do you feel like athletically you got everything out of yourself in those four years that you could have? Uh, I would say definitely not. Um, I had some successes where I'd be like, Oh, like, you know, that's a pretty good result. And this is before the last couple of years where the NCAA, like all the times have just gone crazy. Um, but you know, like I won a big 12 championship in the 5,000. Um, I had run a couple good five K's out at Stanford, like in invitationals and stuff. And, um, but the training really wasn't super post-collegiately. I was trying to explain the training to the coach that I was working with after college. And he didn't believe me until I brought training logs in. It was like, it was super, uh, remedial, I guess might be a decent word for it. Um, not exactly super dialed in. Um, and, uh, yeah, did not get everything out of myself athletically. I think that's, I think that's a very fair characterization. And what makes you want to, like, when you, when you think about, you know, graduating from Iowa state and finishing four years of hard training and racing, how do you explain the energy and the motivation to immediately pivot into trail and ultra? Like a lot of folks, you know, there, obviously there, there is that pipeline to, joining teams like Hoka and Elite and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of these runners, they, they retire after that. That's the end of their like really hard training, hard racing days. Talk about like where your mindset is when you want to get into trail and ultra, like immediately after that. Yeah. So I would say at some point during college, um, I started, you know, I stumbled onto like a Killian journey video on YouTube, you know, and you're like, Whoa, this is pretty sweet. And, uh, kind of realize I don't know maybe my junior year of college that there's like this whole trail running thing and there's races had no idea of this you know I think people growing up where the sport has been more established for a little while um and to be fair I don't think I was really exposed to much of anything like growing up that way so yeah probably junior year I realized that you know this trail racing thing's a thing and I started watching um, getting more and more into it just from a fan perspective um, that between that and like uh, some of these climbing docs and videos that start coming out and I'm like man this really seems to drive more with like what I'm into um, but that being said like then I end up graduating college and uh, move out to Seattle and I'm training with a pro group out there like oh you were okay um so I was out there for maybe eight months before COVID hit. Um, was but we this had a Brooks great beasts. No, it was Brooks beasts. Uh, it wasn't Brooks beasts. They were in the same like little neighborhood, but Andy okay. Powell, who was the coach at Oregon forever with like Ed Chesarek and like yeah. bun- that, that time period, he, yeah. he's over at the university of Seattle now. Uh, great guy. Love Powell. Um, he, uh, had a couple of post-collegiates that were training under him. So like Amos Bartelsmeyer, he's like German national champ in the 1500. He, he's now part of Bowerman Track Club. Um, Sam Prakel, he's run 350 in the mile, uh, 1315, like two weekends ago in the 5,000. Um, 
I was, I was just out there training with them, um, fell into it. Training was going well, like training was going really well. I think it would be, uh, yeah, you know, like closing mile repeats and, you know, four O's and <laughs> it being great, like feeling great. Um, so basically that winter we were like targeting this early season 5k at BU and it was like super super ready to rock and I'd um yeah training had been going great every workout was just like geez um and go to Boston and just it just doesn't click and I just can't get that much out of myself um my heart just isn't super in it so I run I ran like 1338 which was a huge disappointment um for 5,000 and basically that I end up sticking around that and I run I hadn't really ever run a mile seriously and so we basically were like all right well like let's just check off you know running under sub under four minutes and ran under four minutes and then had like the that was like Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, I was supposed to have off and come back to practice. And I was like, Oh man, I have the weekend off. Like I don't have any like training I have to go be doing. And so sitting in Seattle, like you're looking at the mountains, they're snowy. It's the end of February and Seattle somehow just cloudy. It's like still fifties and like, man, I need to go get in the snow. And so Saturday, Sunday, I ran like four hours in the snow. I think it's three hours the next Sunday, just messing around. And it's like, Oh, that was so great. (laughs) Um, And I think looking back on that, it's really telling. Like, I wasn't that pumped. Like, who? I was like, who cares? Like, everyone runs under four minutes. It doesn't really matter. Um, Whereas, you know, that is like a lifetime kind of achievement. It's the only thing that's really, everyone seems to understand, like, oh, that's a big thing. Um, But really, I wanted to just go mess around in the mountains. So, yeah, COVID hits, the training the group kind of is falling apart. We know Amos is going to Bowerman. Everyone kind of goes home. It's COVID. And I was like, I'd rather be back home in Maine during, during this than in Seattle. Mm. And then, uh, move out and start training with Ben true out in New Hampshire and Vermont. And, uh, it still took me, you know, quite a while to actually like jump in and do a trail race. Um, and I think that, yeah, go ahead. I didn't realize that you had spent that year or so with the Seattle based program. That's very interesting. So you actually did give, you did give that world an honest try before. I mean, and, I, and we'll talk about Northwoods athletics and Ben true in a second, but that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, and there still is, which is interesting, but uh, a lot of unfinished business on the track. I knew I never gave it a fair shake. Um, I, simply from a training perspective and I knew mentally I was like not good in college um just from a training perspective I was like there's so much on the table so like I have to just go back and you know give a couple months of good training and I had I had definitely gone to like the next level fitness wise but to do anything at that level I think requires so much mental and emotional energy as well as physical that I just I don't think my heart was in it enough. Um, mm. it just wasn't clicking. It wasn't, um, just wasn't there for me the same way. And I, I do wonder what happens if my, you know, collegiate career had been different. Um, 
Because, yeah, like I just watched, you know, Sam and Amos ran 13.15 and 13.17 this past or two weekends ago in Boston. And certainly during that build up when I was out there, I had been. It certainly looked like I was in much better 5000 shape at that point. Um, Mm. And so it would have been awesome to try to be out there still and be training with them and run in that ballpark with them because that would just be so cool but just couldn't keep doing it and so i mean just just switch to the trails well i the obvious question to me given that you believe in yourself so much and you are certain there's unfinished business in that world and at some point you see yourself going back in some capacity why uh, what's <laughs> motivating you to invest so much time in the trail world like talk about where your mind's at when it comes to that. So yeah, I would love to go back. And I mean, I'd love to, so Louis Lucchini to bring him up again, he had run 1325. Um, and so growing up, there was always like this super far off, like, and I had no idea what it means, but I had always known, I knew what he ran every year in high school. I knew what he ran like his, you know, lifetime PB. And it was always kind of like, I don't know, forever the password on my phone, I think it actually still is, is like, you know, 132499. <laughs> um, and so. Watch out, the wrong people can listen to this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I've, I've always, and I haven't run that. And um, I would love to someday. I don't know now that if like I'm itching the, scratching the trail running itch too much that I maybe it's hard to get back to that level in the track. Um, but right now the motivation to do the trail stuff is like, it's really what I love. I think it's more actually what I am and who I am as a runner. I think, Mm. um, I think there's just so many cool aspects to it. It, It's so exciting to think like, you know, world's next year's in Innsbruck. Um, how much cooler is that than going and racing a 5k on the road and, some major city in the u.s i'm like that's that doesn't sound that exciting i've done that like i've run the u.s champs at in new york city on 5k on the road it's it's cool it's really cool it's unique but like go race in europe for two months in the mountains instead of on the track out there you're like ah oh, seems pretty sweet before we get into more full-fledged trail stuff yeah can you give a bit of an <laughs> overview of northwoods athletics and after that, I think we should talk about Ben True as well, because Ben True is in the running world, obviously, household name, pride of Maine, pride of New England, but there might be some folks listening to this show that don't know him. So first start with Northwood Athletics, but would love to talk about Ben after that. Yeah, so Northwoods Athletics is this little uh, pro group, pro team that we are, you know, kind of hoping to get off the ground. Um, I would say it's fairly fledgling right now. Right now it consists of uh ben true so ben is typically competing between 10k and marathon um he's super established we'll get more into him in a second and then there's uh eric lupuma and myself eric um super great strong guy eric. he's been on the pod yeah yeah he uh but we're all basically in this similar chunk of the country out here um eric lives a little bit down the road maybe like an hour or so um but basically it's built out of this belief that 
there's not there's not many training groups in the country, right? Um, if you want to be training with a group, you the formula seems to be you move to Boulder or Flagstaff. Um, and having trained in both of those places, um, both Ben and I and Eric lived in Boulder for a while actually too. Um, the training's just better here. <laughs> I'd say like hands down. The only it doesn't have the altitude piece, but honestly, unless you're racing at altitude. I think that's a, that's a deep physiological conversation probably, but the training here is just unreal. The AT runs through town here between two tracks um, that both have public use. Good luck. By the way, the by track. the way, give your, give your location, give your location. That's fair. That's fair. So we're in the, uh, it's the upper Valley of Vermont, New Hampshire. So it's basically somewhat nebulous um, definition, but it's basically Hanover, New Hampshire. Um, so you know, not a terribly populated section of the world, two hours north of Boston, um, out in the woods. And it's just rolling dirt roads everywhere. The Appalachian Trail crosses through. You've got the whites to the east. You've got the green mountains of Vermont to the west. Um, super cool area. I love it out here. I uh, The other big piece of moving from Seattle for me was that I wanted to be closer to home and Seattle didn't totally click for me. Um, yeah, I just didn't love it. I wasn't that blown away. I haven't yeah. really. I've trained in Flagstaff for about six months as well, um, and I would certainly much rather be out here training. Um, so, yeah, I think long term we would love it to be a destination for anybody looking to train at a high level, and whether that's focused for running a fast mile on the track, whether it's trying to run a super good ultra. Um, we welcome all. And if anybody's if anybody's interesting interested in that, where uh, DMs are open. <laughs> it's it's an interesting mix of runners because you know Eric obviously uh, was on that USADK team at the World Champs mm-hmm. had a great performance there. I think Seven he ran place. the 100k road World Champs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's yeah, he's he's messed around at a lot of different ultra distances. You're in that sub ultra trail scene. Ben is in that 10 K to marathon road scene, how do you make it work with such a medley of runners? Well, really a lot of training is pretty similar, right? Um, you end up doing just a lot of running, um, yeah. Specific workouts, you know, if Ben's getting ready, if Ben were to get ready for a 10 K he's, you know, no knock on Eric. And I think Eric would be fine with me saying this. Like Eric can't go do a 10 K specific workout with Ben, you know, um, there's only a couple people, but not many people can. can. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, but, but really in, in more broadly, most of running is running and you can just go do, everyone can go do a 10 miler together on the dirt roads. And, um, the hope is to have, Personally, I think there's not much structure in the trail world. Like this is a recurring topic on your podcast as well. But, you know, how many actual training groups for the trail are there in the U.S.? I can't really think of any. Um, people, they call themselves, there's like a Solomon team. It's like, well, who trains together? Um, you'd have a hard time convincing me of that. Um and there should be, there 100% should be, and, you know, you know, where else is better than here? I think you've got in the winter, great cross country skiing, 
great access to uphill skiing as well. You've got all the dirt roads, you've got trails for days, um, everywhere. There's a rail trail in my backyard right here. Um, I think it covers every, everything you could need. And so I think that's, that's basically the belief. Um, you know, Ben was part of Oregon track club for a little while and he was, did this very similar story to what I did in Seattle, not clicking, did not work for him. He had to move back home, came back here. He's been here since. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just a great training ground and there should be more people training here. Okay. I was going to save this for later in the episode, but I think I got to go now. <laughs> we we got to talk about the East coast, West coast divide, because obviously you are somebody that wants or is an aspiring, arguably current professional trail athlete in our sport. Um, it's probably right at the forefront of your mind environment. Like how important is it to have supportive people around you, the best training conditions, applicable training conditions, et cetera. There are, the the list of people that were formerly rooted on the east coast that have since <laughs> uprooted and moved to places like boulder flagstaff seattle etc is endless like that is that story will recycle itself for years to come you're making the argument for the east coast talk about the pressures you feel if any to leave and go west and more about like why you're still there today for sure um Yeah, like you said, there's, I mean, you alluded to this, I think um, there's some amount of specificity, uh, I think, required for some of the trail racing. Um, I think you see that in this year, Golden Trail Series, one of the races in, is in Norway, Strandefjord, and you have all these people from Colorado go out and, I don't know, I would say run pretty poorly. Um I think it's hard to train for those races where things are going to be wet and really rocky in most places in the U S mm. I would say the, I think this is the prevailing kind of theme here is that um, the trails here are hyper technical by most definitions out there. I think probably if you're out in Colorado, a lot of the stuff that we have out here is probably what it's like out at, you know, 13 or 14,000 feet. Um, and so I think that lends itself to a certain kind of race. Um, and I think it certainly helps for some of the races out in Europe where things are steep and technical. Um, yeah, I think getting back to your point about um, how important is the culture stuff. Culture is huge, obviously. Huge. You want to be around people who are of the same mindset. Um and so that's where I'd maybe plug here again. Uh, Dartmouth is one of the, like, I just feel like the whole area is endurance focused. Um, yep. I think, I think Norwich, Vermont, which is the other side of the river from Hanover, holds the distinction of the most Olympians per capita of like anywhere in the world. That's a great stat. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> Everybody skis. Everybody skis. Um a lot of them are downhill skiers, to be fair. Um, huge Nordic scene, though, too. Huge Nordic scene. Dartmouth's hosting uh, NCAAs, I believe, in 2025. So they're putting in a bunch of snowmaking on their Nordics, Nordic track, Nordic trails and, um, you know, lighting and a loop. Like a, it, it's, just, it's just a really cool environment for that stuff. 
that being said, there is some, like, I can totally see how it's super like sexy to go. There's so much of the industry based in, like, I feel like it's all Colorado and Utah. And um, part of that, I think is a function of population. Um, just not a ton of people live out here. And so there is some draw to go out there for periods of time. And like, I have so many friends out there training, like it would be sweet to go train with a bunch of people right now. Um, but I also see this place for what I think it is. And it's like this little gem that I feel like if you polish, it could be something incredibly cool. Um, but yeah, that's a tough thing to get off the ground. You've got to convince a couple, you've got to get a couple like early adopters and say like, look, we really believe in this thing. Um, come on out kind of thing and join on and let's see what we can do and see what we can build. But I think, I think certain things, certainly there's just so many people who I think for the last couple of years have shown that it does work to be here. I think Eric was one of the very few people who actually ran really well at broken arrow who aren't from altitude, who isn't from altitude. I mean, he ran, he was second closing pretty hard on first in the 52 K out there. Um, and he had no, not even, there was no altitude, um, acclimation. Um, I think Jack Kenzel has been someone who might be in that conversation where he's done. I feel like he's really cut his teeth out here. Um, Jeff Colt's another guy. Jeff Colt is from right over here. He's from right here. Um, there's a bunch of people. It's interesting. Noah Williams, he was on the 40 K team in Thailand. I've been working for his mom this past year, like coaching this group of uh, like middle schoolers to, for running stuff. Um, there's so many people. Katie Scheid is, you know, wins yes. UTMB. She does all the, she grew up in the, you know, White Mountains. Um, there's just a lot of people who I think there's something about it. There's like, maybe it's culture. I don't know what it is. You know what? And you just made me think this. I feel like going to Flagstaff or Salt Lake City or Boulder, Portland, etc. That is the ultra running equivalent of like joining some big established corporation in business, like going to work for Google or Facebook or Twitter, etc. Whereas in your case, like rooting down in Vermont and really investing in the fruits of your labor, that is the ultra running equivalent of entrepreneurship. There isn't much of a trail running scene there, at least in terms of like this established elite scene, like you, Ben and Eric is an incredible core. And it could be the case that you'll never truly get to experience the fruits of your labor, but there is something to be said about like laying down roots, build it, like being entrepreneurial when it comes to starting a running community and um, hopefully seeing it pay off in like generations to come. So it's interesting. The number of like, local crushers i feel like everybody every like i I host a group run on the weekends we do through northwoods and like you know the dirt road we ran up this past weekend we host it from like this coffee shop it's on this dirt road it's pretty sweet the dirt road climbs up turns to what's called a class four which is like an unmaintained section of road um which varies from passable by minivan to like hiking trail it's really interesting but public public right away um so you could try to bring your minivan through there if you wanted, but good luck. Um, you know, we climbed 900 feet on this dirt road in the first two miles of this run last weekend. And none of the people there are complaining. Just like community, like people from the community, 
climb up. We actually cross the Appalachian Trail on that run as well and come back down. And like hilly, brutal run by most means. And nobody complains. I feel like everybody here does it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe this this blends into, I think, what we were probably going to get into later in the podcast, which is just like industry and sponsorship stuff. But it just makes no sense to me, some of the stuff, because you're everybody here runs trails. There's a right over here, Boston lot. It's got it like 50 or 60 miles of trails. Like everybody goes in there, walks their dog, runs with their dog. Um, It's not, I feel like the lines are more blurred here as well. Like, I feel like a lot of people are like, I'm a trail runner. I'm a road runner. I'm like all this. You're like, everybody does everything. Everybody here has a gravel bike, a road bike, a mountain bike. Everybody here has, you know, their Nordic skis, their uphill setup, their backcountry setup. And maybe that's true of many outdoorsy places, but I feel like everything really blends together um, here. And even run within the same run, a lot of people will do do this mix of like technical trail to like road back to their house to, you know, dirt road. I, it, it is interesting. And I think that's probably the cool part of the scene here where it's, it's like everybody's into it and it's the elite aspect that isn't there. Maybe um, the like high end elite, like there's a lot of like local crushers, but um, yep. yeah. Yeah. And that's in, you know, just to hammer in on that elite conversation, that's one of the central questions we've been asking is like what factors are required to, encourage it or entice more people like yourself to come to a certain area to base their training and not even just to base their training, but like to also invest in the race scene too, like to determine that like, okay, like X, Y, and Z races in this region uh, matter to me. And that's where I'm going to plan a lot of my race schedule. Like, I feel like not only are we missing, uh, the elite culture on the Northeast and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, we're missing the elite culture. And then also, elite investment in said races as well. Maybe I'd push back a hint on that. I just feel like some of the stuff is kind of underdeveloped. And part of that is part of that is an fault of the industry, in my opinion. Um, Because I think for some reason, a lot of the team managers are unwilling to maybe invest out here. And I'm not sure totally why that is. I know I know that this past year I felt like the easiest way for me to get a contract, just move to Boulder for three months, be buddy, buddy with people. Be be like, you're a little more seen out there. Um, It feels like everybody out there is an ambassador or sponsored athlete of some sort. And not to discredit that, but I feel like, um, and I think I can speak for Eric a little bit on this. I think both him and I have found it a bit, difficult to kind of like break into that despite if you look at maybe others um within that sphere i think it's like maybe probably deserving of like you know some support um it is interesting it seems like a lot of the industry go ahead oh no i was just to give eric a quick shout out because i think he more than deserves it i think he's one of the top free agent ultra runners heading into 2023. <laughs> I think that if you look at what he did at black Canyon, what he did at worlds, um, and then just his entire body of work with like 50 K stuff, et cetera. I think, uh, 
he's super versatile too versatile. he can drop down and run like a good like 10k distance mountain race yep. he can he was seventh at worlds right um yep seventh so at worlds seventh seventh at 80k um second at broken arrow if you go through the list at broken arrow he beat a lot of guys with contracts that's for sure and i don't think he i think there was times when you know people may maybe should have been answering more emails from him um, he beat some pros he beat some ambassadors he beat some ambassadors that think that they're pros yeah <laughs> beat a lot of yeah <laughs> so so i don't know what the i don't know what the word totally is maybe i think maybe it feels like the industry is like vaguely incestuous out there i think like some of it's like and maybe people don't have the knowledge to step back and like look at things holistically but you're like from an x's and o's perspective you're like the northeast is close to huge population centers right if you're just looking in terms of exposure the like the oldest like hiking path in the country is in new hampshire crawford notch right crawford path um people everybody comes up from boston everybody comes up from new york city like there's a ton of these people who come up and get out here and having visibility for those brands at that upper level is huge. Like, why would you not want that out here? Like, it seems like you're just watering down the whole scene out West. You're like, you already have three pro athletes in the same town that all go get like, hang out together all the time. You're like, it has to be somewhat diminishing returns. (laughs) Dude, the East coast is so metal. I want to come back. (laughs) Come on out, dude. Be, be part of Northwoods Athletics. You're welcome. <laughs> well, and again, I mean, you know, we, we've talked about this theme ad nauseum, the idea of like building a trail running team or just building a running team in general. What have been, what have been some of the most interesting lessons or takeaways you've had from the process of like, for example, trying to recruit new athletes to the team or maybe it could be branding related or just trying to get your name out there with sponsors. Like what have, what have been some of the, to date, some of the interesting takeaways for you? Yeah. Well, first off, I'd like to say like, I'm not trying to bash on Colorado or Utah. Like obviously, obviously I'm, they're I'm a hubs. Utah guy. I take, I take yeah. it in stride, bring it on. Well, you're a, you're a main guy, you know, you, you just <laughs> live in Utah. Uh, I'd say like, obviously they're destinations for a reason. They're great. There's a ton of options of stuff. I'm just, I think maybe my perspective is a little more of like, there's a ton of sweet overlooked stuff here. Um, and I think part of that is like this Instagram effect. I think there's a lot of just visibility for like, yeah, Colorado, Utah for those reasons. Um, and so maybe this isn't like the place that people jump to when they're thinking of, you know, destinations for this kind of thing. But yeah, I think that's a mistake. um it's interesting and this is i don't know why i'm thinking of this right now but i I threw hiked the appalachian trail back in 2014 and one of the most interesting phenomenons that i came across was like down south like georgia north carolina virginia all of the local communities that were like directly embedded in those mountains they were super invested in the trail. Like all of these church groups would come out. All of these civic groups would come out. They would set up like tables and chairs for mm-hmm. through hikers at road crossing. They'd cook you burgers. They'd like take you home to their houses where you could like shower and sleep. 
as soon as I crossed the Mason Dixon line into like the, like Maryland, New York, Pennsylvania, et cetera, new, new, uh, North, the Northeast, I was surprised at how almost all of that vanished in an instant. And there was less community and excitement, like communal excitement around the mountains and like people wanting to share what was there with outsiders. Like there was a, and it could have just been a moment in time and me walking through, but I saw that time after time, um, especially as I was, as I was walking through the Northeast. So a part of me wonders like in the same way that a lot of people go out West to pursue individualism, is there some weird pockets of like individualism and like go at it your own in the Northeast mountains? And I haven't quite figured it out, but I just, I only say that to just bring up a contrast that I noticed between like even just the Southeast and the Northeast. That was very interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, could be totally wrong. That was just- I mean, I, I, I might push back a little on it. Like, I mean, I know my neighbor, I had my neighbor this past, you know, fall, summer, I guess, had a bunch of northbound AT hikers over to his house. Cause just, I don't know. It was actually weird. Like I was at this pizza place with a buddy and then like my neighbor was also there and we both kind of from opposite sides of the like you know, outside where we were eating, started talking to these like through hikers and he just, in- he invited them all back to his house. He's like, Oh yeah, come, come stay at my place. And like invited a bunch of them back. And so we all just like had a bonfire, hung out, talked about the trail. And um, so maybe that's true in pockets. I'm not sure. I have no AT knowledge, just having run stuff around here. Um, but that is an interesting thing. I think there is some, it is just interesting. Like, I feel like a lot of the trails out here are, I don't, I don't know, maybe like taken for granted by people. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. And like, and I was so, I was so dumbfounded by, or I shouldn't say dumbfounded, but I was, <clears throat> I was confused by it because I feel like New, New England <clears throat> has this reputation of like the town hall culture where, you know, civic engagement and participation in the community is so important. Like, you know, a lot of the foundations of like our, government and democracy and stuff like were birthed there in new england and i and to see it not extended in my experience to trail culture was very interesting and again it could just be an isolated incident shot in the dark but i've always been trying to theorize why there isn't as much marketed community in the northeast as there is out west i don't know i'm not sure i'm not sure what it would be like in relation to the I, I could I could see maybe a lot of the, yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure what it would be especially in Maine though. I feel I feel like the main Appala- the, the main section of the Appalachian Trail which is very remote to begin how with. how many how many towns do you go through <laughs> on the main AT though like yeah you a go through couple? like Andover yeah Rangeley yeah Caratunk yeah like this like small section of Millinocket it's how yeah, many it's, I would. <laughs> I, I might push back and maybe a lot of that stuff might be socioeconomic. I would argue yes, that yes. certainly, certainly those main towns are pretty tired. Like they're not, uh, they're definitely impoverished areas and like not a lot of money, not a lot going on that way. And I've, I have a bunch of friends who, um, you know, growing up in rural Maine, like friends in town who've never been to Acadia national park like we're 20 minutes from the park and Mm. like we're juniors in high school and yeah my buddy's never been in the park 
never never been up in the mountains there like i think there is an interesting a lot of it's like this relation to socioeconomic status um yes there's a lot of i'm not sure what makes that true but i think a lot of those things end up not being involved with the outdoors setting there for some reason a lot of those towns and i'm not sure if it's the same in vermont in new hampshire but a lot of those towns on the main appalachian trail those were paper mill towns and they were totally ravaged by deindustrialization all the jobs going away all of the middle class just being totally gutted and i think as a function of that there's like no young people there anymore there's not even many people middle-aged it's just anybody that remains there is just from that generation of like the 60s and 70s where like there was still some semblance of like economic stability there and they've just stayed there in retirement that could be it too um, yeah we're gonna we're, we're gonna get to the bottom of this one day <laughs> i mean it's interesting because they're super super small towns i think especially those rural towns in maine it's like i've i've heard it explained as um i've heard someone explain it something about how that's still like a lot it feels like you're stepping back in time in a lot of those towns like Mm. there's towns close to me where i'm from where you're like most people wouldn't know how to operate the gas pumps because they're still so old um and it it feels like gas i used to pump gas in high school yeah that's a thing in maine still yeah for sure I I i just think some of it ends up being like yeah that rugged individualism kind of piece where you're like you gotta take care of your own and it's just a little hard life is kind of harsh like could you imagine living in millinocket year-round i mean caribou is up that way and they get like i don't know a couple years ago they had over a foot of snow on the ground for like 132 straight days like it's it's kind of grim it's cold as hell up there it's remote nobody lives there um it would be tough for for context for listeners katahdin is the gateway to baxter state park which is where mount katahdin is northern terminus the at beautiful country but uh tough winters yeah i mean it's (laughs) it's super far north it's just remote nobody lives up there it's still i think it's what probably the only actual like frontier still like east of the mississippi yeah nobody lives up there yeah, the north, the north woods of Maine. Um, well, hey, I, 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 ac- I mean, I, can I accidentally <laughs> took us off track. Detour. I took us off track. Any other takeaways from the building of Northwoods Athletics that come to mind for you that you think the audience would be interested in, in hearing about? Because there are folks, you know, in Boulder and in Flagstaff that are are trying to kind of pick up where like the Coconino Cowboys left off, and like we had Matt Daniels on the podcast. He's talked about this group called the Boulder Boys. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I don't know. Any anything coming? There are on? some of those. Um, it's just been cool to see how much support from like local community it has had. Um, ben got stopped in a coffee shop a couple weeks ago um, in Boston. The guy didn't introduce himself, didn't say anything. He was just like, "Oh, Ben, like it's been super cool that you guys are doing like a community group run. Super cool. Like I love it." And that was like the whole interaction. The guy didn't introduce himself, didn't like say anything basically else. Ben was like, I have no idea who this guy was kind of thing. Um, mm. And maybe Ben did know him and was just out of it or something. I'm not sure. But 
the number of things that way has been really cool. We've had people come from who are on vacation in Vermont for two days from Chicago, and they've driven down from Burlington to come to the group run. We've had people come from um, Southern Maine to come out for a group run. Like there's so many, it's been cool to watch like the community a little bit come out of the woodwork. And cause there are a lot of people who care about the stuff. Um, so the support that way has been really cool. And I think on the flip side of that, being able to support the community through giving um, people maybe a space to meet other people who run, I think has been mm-hmm. really cool. I know that there's been a bunch of people that I'm now friends with that I didn't know before this um, who run locally, who are like, um, we're kind of maybe into running, like would run occasionally, but now we're like, yeah, I want to run under 240 at Boston this year. Um, super cool. That's been That's been really fun. I think there's just a lot of uh, opportunity to keep it growing. I think that's maybe been the takeaway is that it's just been, it's just been cool. (laughs) I want to talk for a second about this journey that you've been on, let's call it the last year about trying to become a professional trail runner. Yeah. Can you talk about what the highs and the lows have been in that process so far this year when it comes to like training, racing, talking with potential sponsors, stuff like that? So, well, probably the first real low was going to uh, Whiteface, and it was the Classic Mountain U.S. Champs. And as a caveat, I had no trail experience, right? Like I'd done one race like my buddy put on. To be fair, it was really sweet, but it was a mix of like mountain bike trails and dirt roads. Um, and so it it wasn't, was not a good litmus test for like trail mountain ability. Um, I ended up winning, there were good runners there. Like Luis Serafini came out, he's run 212 or 213 in the marathon and Eric LaPuma was there. Like there were good people, but I don't know. It was just, it wasn't that same. So I went out to Whiteface basically and got destroyed. I ended up not finishing the race. It was, I think, mile three at 1,800 feet of climbing, and we'd already been climbing for two miles. And I was like, wow, I'm not at all ready to do this. I thought I, I thought I was, honestly, I went in like, I hope to win this race. Um, and that got completely shattered. And the next weekend was Loon, which was the vertical U.S. championship race. And uh, I was like, I'm not doing that at all. Like, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> um, so that was, that was probably the first real low. Then Loon was a high because it was like, Oh, it went great. Like I got second, beat a lot of guys who are um, established and have had a lot of success. Um, it, it definitely been a little bit of a roller coaster, like a mix of like, I know that I have ability to do this and then getting my head snapped back and being like, whoa, I need to actually get ready for this kind of thing. When you think about what has been confirmed in this process versus what has been upended? Like, can you talk about some of the things you thought were going to happen in this journey that ended up playing out and, and they kind of confirmed your worldview about pro trail running versus like there were some things that you had ideas about and then you experienced them and it just kind of totally revolutionized how you think about things. Um, I mean, part of it is like, it is way more chill than 
at least the stuff I was doing on the track or the road. Uh, I don't know. I remember being at Loon and it was like, this is the US championship. Like, this is serious. And then nobody's even like at the start line, <laughs> like seemingly right before the race. I'm like, what is going on? And then, and then people like came, but it, it, it like to the start line, but it seemed like, yeah, it was so different that way. Um, and then on the flip side of that, I would say I ended up racing um, Trofeo Nasego in Italy. It, and uh, it was like so full blown. It was so legit. Like it was, it was like the exact opposite side of the spectrum um, from some of the like smaller trail races I did this year that it was like, whoa, this is, this is really serious. Um, and still super fun. Cause like the whole community came out. There was like a 21 and a half K course that like people were everywhere on, which was really cool. Um, like just the after party for the whole event was humongous. Like there were, it was, it just ran the gamut of like <laughs> every side of that spectrum of chill to just like, this is serious. <laughs> um, how about contract negotiations? Because I know that you know mm-hmm. you've been on a mission this year to hopefully sign with a brand next year, get a little bit more stability in your life. You know, really make this like <laughs> uh, more and more increasingly professional. Mm-hmm. What what have, what have been the learnings in this process? And, and maybe we can talk about them in ways that you know, if there's anybody out there listening that is in a similar, I don't, I don't want to say predicament, but they're in a similar, they're at a similar point in the journey. Yeah. Let's, let's, maybe we can talk about it in those terms. So I would say, um, I don't know. I kind of figured that I would send out emails and like basically early on, I don't know, you and I had even talked about this, right? Like you had been like, yeah, just start blasting out emails to people. Um, so I basically sent an email with an attached sponsor deck. Like, send the decks. Yep. This is who I am. These are things I've done on the track. These are things I've done so far on the trail. Blasted out emails, followed up on all of them one or two times as well. Um, Got impressively few responses. Um, And then most of the time, yeah, like not not, a lot of just no response. I was like, ooh, like, I know you're not supposed to take anything personal, but like, all this stuff is personal for me too. Like this is something I really care about. And so like, it does feel like a little bit of a jab and, and it's not, that's not what it is, but it's really tough to not be like, Oh, you know, that's so frustrating. Um, How are you positioning yourself or framing yourself to the brands? Like what, what were your, what were your like proposed selling points? I guess up and coming, like hopefully a lot of promise, hopefully a lot of upside. I, I would say like, I would say basically like my second trail or mountain race or whatever, I feel like I had found a lot of success and I feel like looking at people who I've, who've come from similar, like the track background and go to race something like loon. Um, mm. I feel like usually there's a lot of struggle because it's not all applicable, the fitness from the track to that kind of thing. Um, which is interesting. I, I, I didn't know so. what to expect there. Um, and I think a lot of those people have taken a while to kind of translate that. And I don't know, like I probably got lucky with it. I'm not sure, but I feel like I 
was able to translate pretty quickly. Um, and so in my head, I was like, that seems to make sense. That seems to be a lot of promise. Like I have a lot of big things I want to do. I believe in myself, you know, in the next couple of years, I want to, you know, really do some cool things. And so then like to be at that, like kind of lofty position in my head, <laughs> then like, oh, yeah, dude, you're not even going to get an email back. Um, that kind of sucked. But you know, then like, you know, some brands do respond and you keep talking with them and you kind of explain where you're at, what you believe in and the conversations progress from there. Um, it was interesting because like after then making the world team, uh, like respond to some of these people who like hadn't responded like, Hey, just circling back. I just wanted to let you know, like where things are at. Like I'm going to be on the world team going to Thailand and in the back of my head, knowing full well, this athlete manager has nobody going on this trip that they sponsor who's a male and maybe they have one person who's a female. Um, and then some of those times I was getting emails back like, Oh, would you, uh, we could send you a pair of shoes to run in. And it would be like, after maybe they've already told me their team is full for 2023 or like after they've already said like they did, they can't support me. There's or always like room that. for dessert. And you're like, you're like, I'm sorry. Like I'm not, I'm not going to run in those shoes probably. Uh, you know, like maybe in a couple years when we can keep talking. Um, so that was like minor vindication. I, I felt like, um, but yeah, really it was interesting to not, I wasn't sure what to expect. I guess I was hoping I would get a lot more response than I did. And then um, to be fair, things have shaken out well. Uh, yeah. And we can talk about that in a second. I have one question. Have you gotten a sense in this process of whether brands care more about sub ultra or ultra athletes? One of the common threads I feel like I was hearing was that I think people are interested in that um, sub ultra stuff. I think, really? I think, and this is something I've talked with you about. I, and I, I know like you've talked about it on the podcast, but I mean, look at it. You can't run, 10 ultras in a year you just you should not at least probably um and i think i think there's just something just so much sexier about running super fast down like bombing down a mountain and like maybe it's only an hour race but on paper it would seem to me that that would thing would be more marketable than maybe an ultra you could easily have it's more digestible length of time. I mean, than running for 24 hours, I know like you skew towards the interest in ultra stuff, but yep. I do think there's like, if it was about Instagram, you could make a much sexier, like 15 second reel of someone like sprinting down this mountain side and like slightly out of control. Maybe they fall. Like those things are going to do better than someone like, having to kind of hobble down the mountain because they've been running for 23 hours. Like, <laughs> you know, like, and half the time, like people in the ultras like crap their pants and they're like thrown up. Like that stuff is brutal, but like, I don't know if it lends itself towards a like sexy video content stuff. Um, and I think you're I've totally used... right about the marketability. Yeah. And so then, then from that point of view, it's like the athlete could race more. The, hopefully you, if you did a good job with media stuff, I think that stuff would maybe gain more traction. Um, and then really there's like logistically, if you're a race, if you're a sponsor that wants to support a race, it's 
way easier to make a race that's you know 15k than 100 miles so i think i think there's some of that stuff that i hope rounds out the scene i don't think it has to be you know ultra or sub ultra like it's like let's just round the whole thing out like there's room for everything to go around it's not a zero-sum game i think that's an incredibly interesting frame like i get maybe for any sub sub ultra athletes out there that are wondering okay i got this deck and i'm looking for some sort of narrative and a bunch of selling points for why it makes sense for a brand to partner with me if i'm a sub ultra athlete yeah i could be racing upwards of 20 times a year and that is 20 touch points with trail running audiences at mm-hmm. a variety of races across the u.s across the world so you're getting more awareness with fans more engagement with fans um you're doing more exciting things more often you're not having to you're worrying less about injury yeah at least or not maybe not injury but like differently about fatigue, injury like ots stuff like that yeah. super compelling it's interesting I, I think i wonder i wonder oh sorry go ahead go ahead I just think it's, I think there's some merit to those arguments, right? And I think you're not going to lose, you're not going to lose UTMB, right? Jim Walmsley and Courtney, they're always going to have this huge following at UTMB and they should. The event is super cool. Like they're like big names in that space. Um, But it doesn't make sense to me. The US scene, like maybe not respecting or taking us seriously, kind of the sub ultra stuff. Um, and I'm not sure what that's totally like what totally has affected that, but it is interesting. One of the things I've always appreciated about you is you have a great sense of initiative. You're always looking to learn. You're always trying to navigate the scene, identify people that are interesting, learn from people. Can you talk about who you see as (laughs) some of your contemporaries in the sport and I know a lot of these conversations are private, but Rick, yeah. <laughs> any interesting conversations you've had with other athletes in the sport? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people I think fit a similar mold to me who like have that collegiate track background and then are, you know, within a year or two of me age wise. I mean, just to start naming people like Preston Cates is Nike sponsored guy. He's doing some yeah. ultra distance stuff. Um, I know Garrett Corcoran, you know, Garrett, um, I've known Garrett for years now, like post race at, out at Stanford, we would like cool down together or something. Sub um, four, no core. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, I don't know. And he's, he's, I feel like he's like a contemporary. Um, I feel like I don't know all that many people, honestly. I know like I've made friends with like Brian Whitfield. He's out in yeah. uh, Colorado. Uh, I like him. Kieran Nay, a bunch of a bunch of like a bunch of people you just end up being like friends with. Um but in terms of people I actually talk with the most in terms of like maybe direction of the sport, um, it's probably like Eric Lapuma. Obviously, like we're friends, we talk about that stuff a lot. I talk with yeah. Patrick Karen a lot. Um yeah. he's training back up in Maine. He's a good guy. I think he has like a good feel of stuff. And then Jack Kenzel, like you like you've mentioned before i think we've brought his name up already today um we go back and forth a bunch on like i just like how his uh i just feel like his vision for direction of stuff is kind of 
there's no right or wrong, but like, I, yes. I agree with it, I guess. Um, in terms of like, these are big things. Um, these are important, like cool things to chase. And then a little more locally, like Jordan Fields, he's got, um, a bunch of super strong times across the Northeast. Um, he lives locally. Good guy. I like, like bouncing him and Jack usually have fairly different perspectives. So it's interesting, interesting. to bounce the same thing off the two of them. What's, what's um, Jordan's mindset? Cause Jack has some pretty anti-establishment views. Yeah. I mean, Jack tends to be more, much more opinionated and Jordan tends to be, you know, more willing to entertain both sides of an argument. <laughs> <laughs> um, and honestly, way, I'm, we love Jack. Jack, I know you're listening. We love you. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely closer to Jack. Probably Jack's leaning on a lot of those things, but I don't know. I like the way Jack thinks about a lot of stuff. I like that. He's got like, he seems super dialed, you know, he knows basically what he's going to be doing for every month um, in terms of what he's going for, for the next year. And those things are probably open to change, but there's not a ton. And this goes back to our East coast, West coast conversation we were having earlier in terms of like pull to the West. There's just not a ton of people who are like the frothers, I would say like super into it, super stoked. Um, And that's what really excites me. I think like these are huge things I'm really pumped for. This is stuff I really want to do. And I want to, I feel like there's some gravitational pull towards those things. um, Cause that's what I want to be more involved in. Like, I don't want to necessarily be more like, yeah it's like the outcome does matter to me and like i would like to have gotten some run some pretty cool things and done some cool things by the end of this all so i think that the people who i feel like are in like on that trajectory or interested in that i feel like are very interesting to me i know that i've taken us over time here i apologize for (laughs) the running late Maybe we got time for for two more topics. I do want to yeah. close on like what your your goals are for 2023 and beyond, and any any news that you can share. Uh, we can talk about that too. But um, we had a whole list of things. Any anything that we haven't covered yet that you think we should talk about before we close up? Uh, yeah. So I think initially, I think one blends into the next. But I think there's what was ob- somewhat obvious to me was there's this fairly big culture difference in racing and. And like, I'd never traveled before at all. All of a sudden, like I had raced well at Loon and then all of a sudden I was on this team going to Italy and then I was going to Thailand to race. And the coolest thing about racing over in uh, Italy to me was like, and obviously I am not indicative of everybody because I'm like a, a pro or whatever. Uh, it was like, they were so, so stoked on the elite side of the, of the sport. Mm. I mean, I reached out to that second race I did over there, Trofeo Nasego, and they sent a black car from the first race for like a three hour taxi ride over to the second race. They put me up from Monday to Monday in the hotel. And like between this, they were just pumped about like seeing all these pros. Um, And I had my roommate, just recently went and raced the Valencia marathon. Um, And he was saying, yeah, it's interesting. Like there was this guy who came up to, and he was hanging out with a couple of like the pros who had raced. Um, And 
this guy from Spain comes up and is like, oh, let me buy you guys drinks. And he just wants to talk to them because they're like serious. They're pumped about the sport. And like, um, and the guy's asking, you know, why aren't it, it basically, I think the takeaway of the conversation was something along the lines of why, like, why aren't the U S why isn't the U S pumped about like running fast kind of stuff. Um, and I do feel like there's a bit of that in the industry where it's like, Oh, I mean, running fast isn't everything. And no one's claiming it's everything, but there is some amount of validity to running fast and giving something a lot of yourself. Like Mm. I, I probably care about the sport more than most because I give it so much energy and I like, it is the biggest, one of the biggest things in my life, you know? Um, And so I think that can almost translate into this conversation about sponsorship models and how many people or this like leaning towards sponsoring influencers. And you're like, there's actually a podcast I listened to recently that kind of delve delves into this, but it's like, what is your model if Instagram, Instagram's a business in theory, it could shut to shut down tomorrow. What is your model as a sponsor? If mm. all of the people you are investing money in have no Instagram now, you're like who, then you go to the races and it's like back to, well, the people who probably are the most sponsorable are the athletes who actually are like, doing the thing well um it's interesting the way things have gone that way and like there should be there should be room for both they're like obviously if you're super locally involved and you're it doesn't being better isn't everything and it certainly doesn't make you a better person in any way but for the most part it would seem to me that there is value from a sponsor's perspective Mm. in working with people who are like really damn good at the thing. One thing, and I I just pulled this tweet up because when you, when you mentioned Valencia and the questioning about, you know, times and speed, Michael, Michael Johnson, you know, Olympian back in uh, the nineties, great sprinter had this tweet. I put it in the newsletter two weeks ago. He says, is track the only sport Whereas fans, our biggest excitement comes from fast times or even the prospect of them. In most sport, that's the equivalent of a stat, which is a byproduct of competition. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on like that delineation between uh, times and just like purely wanting to beat someone else, like to finish you know, on the podium, stuff like that? Yeah, it's super interesting because I think obviously there's a whole lot of truth there in terms of track and road performances, but that, that is part of the sport that I was not into and I couldn't make my head click with where it's like just racing to do time trials. And like, that's not what I'm into. Like I love just the more broken down version of it, which is just like running hard and racing. And like, I think that's why trail is cool because there will be a course record, but it's, relative to the course and then even day to day like obviously western states is a great example no one's going to run the western states record if it's super super hot and if they do like that's obviously wild but that's why the trail stuff i think is so cool because it's more about the competition head to head and maybe jack maybe uh jack listening over there is shaking his head because all he wants to do is (laughs) fkts and he's afraid to race but um you know 
maybe he should race. Dan, this has been an <laughs> awesome conversation. I'm sure we'll do many more of these in the history of single track for this particular one though. Got a le- one last question for you and it revolves around, um, as I mentioned, goals for goals and schedule for 2023. So what do you have lined up? Do you have everything settled? Like where's your mind at for next year? Now open to open to, uh, tips. Um, I don't know, waiting to see more of the world kind of schedule. Like I don't think golden trail has released theirs hoping to see WMRA schedule, um, kind of bounce around that. I am definitely pointing towards trying to make the world team in Austria, the uh, another hint for the East Coast is, I believe, the Vertical and Classic Championship is out here at Mount Sunapee, yep. which is interesting venue, but not not the biggest mountain on earth. Uh, so yeah, that should be end of April, the 29th and the 30th, and then Worlds in Austria is June 6th to the 10th. I'd like to do that. Um, then you know, I'd love to do Broken Arrow, which is only like s- ten days later. I think that's like the 17th or so of June. Um, yeah, bunch of stuff I'd like to do. I'd like to go on a bit of a European tour next summer. Um, and then I have some FKT aspirations that I, I think I'm going to keep in the bag for a little while. I might tell you off camera, but um, yeah, excited about a lot of that stuff. And then um, right now I'm just trying, I'm overhauling the training and seeing if I can't prepare myself to actually to actually be able to race for like one to three hours. Does the presidential traverse FKT interest you at all up in the whites? Of course, Jack has it. It's three thirty-eight. It'd be great to great to go over over there. I should have asked you this, or I should have asked Jack honestly. But I'm on the FKT site now, and it looks like Jack has the southbound in three thirty-eight and yep. change, and then Ben Thompson has the northbound in three thirty-two, but it's flagged. Do you do you have any insight on that? It's a winter uh, gotcha. run. So gotcha. basically, you know, Finn, but I think people might not the right. It's an 18 mile route. It's like 9,000 feet of climbing or something, 8,500. And it's just so technical that even despite the winter being like, obviously super rough up there, it's much faster in the winter because it's so technical that everything is just filled in and it becomes a highway. Um, so no shade thrown to Ben Thompson, but. Gotcha. I think I think Jack's time is probably a little stronger. Well, Dan, as I said, great chatting. Thanks for the great conversation, the great ideas, the great perspective. I'm sure there's a lot of folks listening that will have a bunch of nuggets to take away from this one. Um, we're recording this in mid-December, a week before Christmas. I'm hoping to release this in maybe around the new year. So I hope Sweet. this is good New Year's fodder for the listeners. Thanks yeah, so great. Thanks a lot, Finn. Thanks for listening. Before we sign off, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting us with a rating and review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsor discount codes in the show notes. Thank you so much for your consideration. We really appreciate your support. Until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.